We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. Welcome into a special Christmas Eve episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Just me today. Uh, Steven and Tyler are out, you know, celebrating Christmas. I uh, am a uh, did not play on Christmas. I'm not activated for the game because Jewish. Uh, but <laughs> nonetheless, I hope that everyone is having a Merry Christmas, Christmas Eve, um, you know, holiday season and all that. I know Steven's visiting his family in Utah. Tyler celebrating Christmas with his family. So hoping that everyone just gets some nice R&R time heading into the new year, um, and that it's, you know, good for you. Um, I am excited to celebrate, you know, the Christmas season and everything with my family as well, uh, and get into some football because, you know, sometimes this is probably, you know, considering how the semester goes and God, I, I have barely watched the NBA this season or done some of those other things. So I'm excited for that on Christmas too. Um, but yeah, uh, outside of football, I haven't gotten to watch a whole lot of sports, uh, so, you know, this is the time to do it, given that I'm on a break for school and all. But I hope that everyone is having a great holiday season to this point. Uh, so obviously with no Tyler and Stephen, uh, we're not doing a live Q&A this week. But I did put out a uh, form on Twitter where people could send in some questions. Uh, so that's sort of what I wanted to get to in this video. Um, let me just share my screen so I can put some of those questions up. But yeah. Um, yeah, let's just go through some of these questions that you guys sent in on Twitter. Thanks for sending in questions and giving me content because God knows uh, we need it in the Christmas season. But there is a lot to talk about. Uh, I like the diversity in questions that we got this time. Uh, this one comes from at Barry M. Jacob on Twitter. What position should the Chargers address in the draft on day one and day two? Um I don't know a ton about the draft in terms of prospects, like specifically in terms of who will be available day one, day two, day three. I don't know a lot about the prospects outside of like the top 10 or 15 players that, you know, are, are kind of talked about consistently in media. Um, so I can't answer specific names, but if you just ask me from a Chargers perspective, day one and day two, what positions I'm looking at, I'm looking at cornerback. Um, that might be my highest priority defensive one, just because, when we talk about JC Jackson and his status coming back from the ruptured patella tendon, Michael Davis, if he you know plays here next year, is under contract for one more year. The future of that position outside of Asante Samuel Jr. at this point is very uncertain. Um, and so I'm sort of looking to the draft 
primarily to find like a long-term corner. Steven's kind of been pounding the table for an edge player as well, given that Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, both a little older, both getting a little bit more injured, right? And Chris Rumpf has been okay in spots, and Kyle Van Hoy's on a one-year deal. He's been playing a lot better the last two weeks, but they don't really have like a long-term like edge player to develop, um, you know, at, at their edge three spot, at least one that could have that, you know, uh, first round potential, if you want to say it like that. And then if you're looking at offense, I am looking at wide receiver and tight end. Uh, tight end is a pretty big need because Gerald Everett, excuse me, Gerald Everett heading into the last year of his deal next year. Um, so if you can get like a you know, Michael Myers guy that people have mocked uh, from Notre Dame to the Chargers or, you know, just to teams in general and potentially in round one, round two, um, if, if they added a presence like Michael Meyer uh, into their, you know, offense, that would solve a lot of their problems. And Gerald Everett can sort of be not phased out of the offense, but reduced uh, into more of a tight end uh, blocking type of role. So it would be very curious just to see what the Chargers um, end up doing at tight end there. And wide receiver, I, I think you always look at the draft for wide receiver. I know that the Chargers are generally pretty comfortable with what they have in Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and Josh Palmer. Um, I, I don't think they will draft a receiver super high, but I still think you look and see what's out there in those first two days of the draft because if you can find a wide receiver that's on a cheap four-year deal while you're paying Keenan and paying Mike um, and, and maybe eventually will have to pay Palmer at some point, um, I think that would be just very helpful for the Chargers in general um, if they could sort of you know, find you know, a cheap, fast speed option as well. Uh, Jalen Guyton status up for next year, up up in the air for next year, right? He, you know, towards ACL, he's a restricted free agent. So, you know, in terms of just adding some speed to this offense, I don't think you need to go add like a 4-3 guy, but I think you need to add a guy who has some wiggle to him um, and, you know, can be able to play maybe 20, 30 snaps a game at wide receiver. Um, sort of in that Jalen Guyton type role if Jalen Guyton ultimately isn't back next year. Um, but obviously a lot to be decided there still. So I hope that answers your question. So I'm sort of looking at cornerback, edge, wide receiver, and tight end. Um, Edward Moretti asks, can Justin kill his curse this week concerning his play versus cover three? Uh, we also got a question. Let me look for it down here uh, in terms of what can Lombardi do to help Herbert against this cover three scheme? Uh, so obviously I think there's a lot that people are just looking at in terms of this matchup uh, as for what the chargers can do against cover three and Gus Bradley on the other side. It, it does concern some people. I don't think chargers fans are scared of Gus Bradley, but you look at the Raiders game last year and you're like, you know, um, Max Crosby obviously kind of ruined that game. Uh, for the Chargers, and you know, I, I think that Gus Bradley will look to kind of do something similar this year in, concerning his cover three scheme and what he does with his four three defense. Um, what I will say in that regard is that you sort of look at Yannick Ngakwe um, and you look at Quiddy Pay in terms of what they're going to do because Gus Bradley's big bet, right, is my edges will beat your tackles, and if they don't, then I'm going to rely on my secondary to bail, bail me out. Right. Like that, that is kind of the Gus Bradley defense uh, to a T. And I, I think you look at that right now and you sort of are confident in Trey Pipkins versus Quiddy Pay. Quiddy Pay has also been kind of banged up uh, the last few weeks, although we did have a nice couple plays against the Vikings. 
Um, Yannick Ngakwe versus Jamari Salier is the one that I mentioned in my, you know, sort of pregame talk of this game, just because he's a longer, faster edge. And we just saw against the Raiders, uh, Jamari Salier struggled pretty mightily versus Chandler Jones in that respect. Not that Yannick Ngakwe is Chandler Jones, but he, he does fit that build, fit that prototype that can give someone who is more prone to playing uh, inside guard problems. So I think it's just really about the offensive line holding up. And if you have Herbert kind of able to read the defense and again, not predetermine where he's throwing, because that is what has gotten Herbert, you know, into trouble against some of these cover three teams in the past. Um, What got him into some trouble against, you know, say the Patriots last year, for example, Um, we saw him do it a couple times. Uh, I want to say where he threw the interception against Tennessee, just sort of steered his receiver down. Can't do that against the cover three scheme because if you have Stefan Gilmore there, if you had Rodney McLeod there uh, in this matchup versus the Colts, they're going to take advantage of that every time. So I think that Justin Herbert needs to be on his A game as well um, and sort of not predetermined where he's throwing the ball in that respect. Um, But overall, the cover three scheme as a whole is going to give the Chargers opportunities. Um, And what I will say that I mean by that, let me cover up the sun here. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to successfully cover up the sun. I don't want it to blind you. Uh, no, no, I think this is the best way to block up the sun. Um, sorry. Um, I, I think that the cover three scheme will give you opportunities sort of to have a big play, right? Sometimes Gus Bradley's secondaries play so far off that you have a chance to have a wide open play in the flats. Last year, you look at the Raiders and you're kind of like, okay, Jared Cook, Austin Eckler, right? Um, so you'll have your opportunities if you're Justin Herbert, either to take a deep shot once in a while or just find kind of the wide open guy, because there probably will be one if Gus Bradley is coaching this defense and sometimes playing bend don't break, sometimes playing, you know, that sort of prevent style of defense. There will be, you know, a Herbert guy if, if he's able to wait out the play and sort of find, you know, the open man, so to speak. But a lot of that hinges on the offensive line. So I don't know if there's anything specific that Lombardi needs to do. Uh, obviously kind of go, go down the field, a lot of play action, a lot of RPO against this cover three scheme, but I don't know if there's a lot that Lombardi needs to do in terms of mixing it up. It's just, can my, can my guys beat your guys, right? Can my offensive line hold up against your defensive line and can my wide receivers beat your secondary, right? I do think that is a lot of this matchup against the Gus Bradley defense in particular. So if the chargers are able to handle that, They'll be okay if they can't, and it sort of turns into a version of the Raiders game from Week 18 where Ngakwe maybe overpowers Jamar Salier, and you have Trey Pipkins have an off day. Could be a long day at the office for the Chargers in that regard. But hope that answers your guys' questions on on the Colts game in particular. Um, Let me see what the next question was. Uh, As of right now, this comes from Colin Murphy, Tank Murphy 495 on Twitter. As of right now, with everything we know so far, what are the chances that Slater and Bosa play in the playoffs if we make it? Um, I will say with Joey Bosa, I am a little bit concerned that there hasn't been like any movement in terms of him getting back to practice. I don't expect him to play in the next two weeks. Um, and then if the Chargers clinch the playoff spot, does he really play week 18? Right. That becomes the question there. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. I'm surprised there hasn't been any movement per- Perhaps there's a reaggravation of the groin that we don't know about because it seems like Ian Rappaport and Tom Pelissero were very confident that he would be back by this point. 
Um, but that the Chargers never indicated that themselves. So I think for now, until we get more information, we just have to say that they're playing it cautious with Bosa, you know, um, unlike, you know, with Keenan Allen and, you know, his growing hamstring injury situation this year. So I think they're kind of just playing it safe there and that Joey Bosa eventually when it comes time for the playoffs will be back. I would like to see Joey Bosa in a game and kind of shake off the rust and potential for re-aggravation prior to the playoffs. But the Chargers also, I mean, I, I think if especially if they clinch a playoff spot potentially this week or next, then, you know, that gives them a little bit margin for error and, you know, margin to rest Joey Bosa as well. Slater Slater's interesting because we also heard that Tom Pelissero, uh, no, it was Ian Rappaport, I think, who reported it after the Jags game in week three because originally it was Rashawn Slater's done for the entire year. Then it was, well, maybe if the Chargers climb back into the playoffs, uh, he has a chance to play. I think that Rashawn Slater, if he does play, is kind of like only second round of the playoffs thing, conference championship weekend, maybe. Um, I would love to see Rashawn Slater back, but I think the Chargers will also play that one very conservatively because they pretty much said themselves that he's probably done for the year as well. Um, but I, I do think there is a chance he plays. I think there's a much higher chance Bosa is back and playing at a higher level than uh, Slater. I think Slater, if he comes back, is sort of a second round of the playoffs and further type of thing. I don't even know if he would start wildcard weekend per se, um, but obviously that depends on the tracks they have for both of those guys. I think if Slater can come back, he will, and the Chargers will try to kind of assist him in that. But as of now, if you had to make a bet, I would just say you're just betting on Joey Bosa coming back uh, as of as of now, as of this point. Um, so, yeah. Zachary Shelton asks, who has been your surprise player this year so far in a positive way? Has to be Trey Pipkins. I did not think Trey Pipkins would be able to be a starting level right tackle. And you have seen the difference as to when Trey Pipkins is in there. You've seen the difference as to whether... Uh, Foster Sarrell is in there, right? And that has been a big deal for this team in terms of how they are, you know, just playing offense, really. Um, the the amount of pressure that Justin Herbert took when Foster Sarrell was in there versus Trey Pipkins is night and day. And I think in previous years, whether you had Storm Norton or Trey Pipkins out there, there wasn't a big difference um, in terms of what you had. So I, I think that the market improvement in Trey Pipkin's ability in terms of how he uses leverage um, and just in terms of how he conducts himself when he's getting ready to block a pass rusher, you can really see the improvement that he did with Duke Mannyweather and, you know, sort of his coaching in the off season uh, that has really helped him elevate his game to this point. Uh, and I, you know, Steven's talked about it. I've talked about it. I hope the chargers definitely re-sign him and get him, you know, on a longer term deal going forward it might only be two or three years. I don't think, you know, Trey Pipkins isn't playing at like an all pro level. So he's not going to get that kind of contract. Like say Elton, Elton uh, Jenkins got from the Packers yesterday, but Trey Pipkins is playing at a really high level. Uh, and I hope that, you know, just as far as keeping this offensive line together, I hope that they are able to keep him then sort of reshuffling the line. So I think you can kind of look at him getting like a $7 million deal or 7 million AAV deal in the off season. That's probably what his market is. Uh, maybe a little bit under that, but yeah, the chargers definitely need to keep Trey Pipkins. And he's been my positive surprise of the season because neither me nor Tyler 
nor Steven would have said anything about like a Trey Pipkin's real like hype campaign going into the season. We thought him versus uh, Storm Roten was a pretty miserable situation uh, to be in. And for him to have developed as much as he has says a lot about Pipkins and hope that they end up keeping him, which is not something I would have said before the season. I would have just said, let him walk. Uh, we talked about Bosa later. This comes from Eric White on Twitter. Uh, like I just said, I think that Bosa comes back before Slater and any chance of Slater coming back is sort of a wait and see at this point. Um, I think that based on the national reporting, the door is open. If, you know, if Slater can kind of, you know, if his rehab is going well and the Chargers doctors sort of approve it, but I don't think the expectation should be that Slater is coming back. I think that Bosa the expectations should still be until we hear more from the Chargers or, you know, more in a negative way from the Chargers in terms of reaggravation. I think that it should just be suffering a setback, as Staley likes to put it. Um, I think that the expectation should be that Bosa is back and Slater is not until we hear more. Chargers dock in training at Chargers Medical. He asks, how do we fix up this running game? Seems like we can't get anything moving on the ground. Um, I, I think fixing the run game, honestly, there is a bit of this where it's just like, it, a lot of this is Slater, um, in terms of his like influence on the line, because you saw the degree that the Chargers ran, I mean, to the left side last year, um, and, and had success doing that. And I think him not being there and them having to be a little bit more cautious about how they use Jamari, who's developed well as a run blocker for sure. Um, but still, it's just not the same there. As far as the Chargers run game, it, it just feels like they're not kind of using it at the right times um, against teams, right? You sort of get that like early first down run. Um, you know, they don't have a lot of opportunities, I guess, to run on third down, which I think can be a big tempo changer, right? If you sort of run on like a third and short play, it just feels like they're always passing, which is a good thing. But they never really get Eckler into like a momentum where you can just sense that it's like an Eckler drive all the way through in terms of running the ball. Now they get Eckler involved in other ways. Um, I, I think the way that you really kind of up the stakes of the running game here is get Joshua Kelly more involved, right? Because if defenses only have to worry about Eckler, they're going to sort of take their wins and losses, you know, on that. If you add Joshua Kelly into the mix, which Joe Lombardi has been doing a little bit more recently, then you give defenses kind of something to think about in terms of a second option. Um, But as of now, the Chargers just haven't really integrated Kelly into their offense that much since he's been back from the injury, although they've been increasing a little bit more each week. Um, Isaiah Spiller, practically speaking, out of the picture as of now, too. That's something that, you know, I mean, they kind of envisioned this as a Eckler, Kelly, Michelle group. And now it's just an Eckler Kelly group with very little, um, very little from Isaiah Spiller. So I, I'd like to see more from Spiller too, because when he has been on the field, he's been good. Um, I mean, you saw it in a couple of those Sunday night primetime games. Spiller was able to have a couple nice runs in those, but the Chargers have since just kind of made it an Eckler Kelly group uh, at, at the running back position since he's been back. So that part of it, I think, has been uh, a little bit unfortunate, but. As far as fixing the run game, uh, a lot of it just is uh, getting into those short situations, which the Chargers have had trouble doing since a lot of their third downs on offense, they think, have been third and longs. Um, and then when they are third and shorts, they've actually tended to use the QB sneak 
a little bit more than it feels like they've been using, you know, like Eckler runs per se, uh, particularly in the last couple games. Um, I'll be curious just to see if they try a little bit more of what they did. Was it in the Titans game or the Dolphins game? Is it the Dolphins game, I think, where they did the uh, Jalen Hurts Eckler play where uh, Eckler faked the handoff to Joshua Kelly and took the snap directly himself and he picked up like a first down. Um, So if you do more of that kind of stuff too, then I think that that gives you a little bit more offensive versatility. Um, But as of now, you know, I I think it's just kind of a wait and see process with the run game. I think the more cohesiveness the offensive line has, things will get better. Guys have been moving in and out uh, as we've seen this season. And this is probably, you know, the first time in a couple games with the Chargers since Trey Pipkins has been back have just been moving, uh, you know, have had their five spots settled, so to speak. So um, I, I think it's really just time and, you know, trying to vary up the play calling, getting Kelly a little bit more involved too. And I think those things will help the run game. Um, is it going to turn into a dynamic run game by the playoffs this year? Probably not. And, you know, you sort of go into the playoffs thinking that Herbert's arm is how you win anyway. Um, at Quinn Knapps, uh, this was yesterday, but he asked, is there a reason Joe Lombardi didn't speak with the media today? Ronaldo Hill was live on Facebook, but on Lombardi... I haven't been watching the Chargers press conferences, so I don't really know. Um, I know the Chargers have sort of gone away from Twitter in terms of putting their press conferences there, uh, and they've been doing more Facebook or YouTube stuff. So I, since they've kind of taken their press conferences off of Twitter, I haven't really been watching them. I used to like transcribe them directly from Twitter or directly from what I saw when it was like OTAs and, and that kind of stuff and when it was training camp, just because what they were saying was more important versus now it's like, okay, Staley provides injury update that, Daniel Popper is going to tweet out anyway, so I haven't been watching press conferences as much. Um, but yeah, I, I just sort of want to see um, if Joe Lombardi does speak, <laughs> what his offensive vision for the game is Monday. But um, I, if you're you know insinuating that there's some potential that like Joe Lombardi's in the doghouse or he's, he's fired or something or he's on the hot seat because he didn't speak at the press conference, uh, I can assure you that 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 itself is not the case. Uh, um, so yeah, I, I don't really know why he wasn't on the, on the Facebooks and the Twitters, but yeah, not a problem. Uh, at Kylan Alexander asks on Twitter, what seed, who we play in the first round? Would you like to see also defensive starting gel and get hot Bengals type run? Um, so, okay. This is a debate, I guess, between who would you rather play? Would you rather get the Bengals in the first round? Cause it seems like the Bengals are going to win that division. If the Chargers stay in the sixth seed right now, they would play the bang, the winner between the Bengals and the Ravens. With the Ravens injury situation, it looks like they'll be playing the Bengals. Or if you get the five seed, would you rather play the Jaguars or the Titans? And I think at this point, we can say pretty firmly that it's probably the Jaguars uh, who are going to be in that situation as well. Um, So for now, I would say between those two teams, I would probably rather play the Jaguars. But the Jaguars really scare me as a team that, you know, you, you said Bengals type run in terms of the Chargers. The Bengals scare me. I mean, or the Jaguars scare me in that capacity because their defense is playing really well at the right time. Uh, we just saw them pretty much completely shout out the Jets. Some of that Zach Wilson too. Um, but they have key contributors like Rayshon Jenkins, who obviously had the pick six versus Dallas. Not an elite defense by any means, but could they string a couple games together? And Trevor Lawrence has a few like generational type performances. Trevor Lawrence is heating up at the right time too. Um I don't know if that's an easy answer for me in terms of who I would like to play. I think I would still take the odds and and play the Jaguars. Um, But the Chargers coming to the East Coast hasn't necessarily been pretty in the past. They got drubbed by 28 to the Jaguars 
in week three, as everybody saw. I don't think the Jaguars are that much easier of a matchup in the playoffs than the Bengals would be. Um, but still, yeah, I, I probably would not want to play Joe Burrow in the playoffs on wildcard weekend in Cincinnati where it's going to be freezing cold. So, I mean, I, I would take my odds with the winner of the NFC, uh, or sorry, the winner of the AFC South. Hopefully that is the Titans because they think the Titans are beat up to the point where they're not making a playoff run at this point. Um, but more like more than likely, I think they would be playing the Jaguars if they got to the five seed. Um, so between the Jaguars and Bengals, I'd probably rather play the Jaguars. Um, as far as the Chargers on a Bengals-type run, I think that's a decent comparison in terms of what they can do in the playoffs because there is like a, from the media, you've seen this, like nobody wants to play the Chargers, right? And in terms of the playoffs right now, the Chiefs, if they were to get like the two seed, don't want the Chargers to be the seventh seed. The I don't think the Bengals want to see the Chargers in the first round either. And I think if you're the four seed from the AFC South, you you, you definitely don't want to see the Chargers just because of that Herbert factor, right? They have the offensive weapons to make it work if Joe Lombardi puts together a good game plan. And finally, in the last two weeks against the uh, Dolphins and against the Titans, you've seen wire-to-wire defensive performances that have been really good uh, compared to what they were doing previously in the season against the run. I think you trust them against the run a little bit more now, which is important come playoff time. And they have the pieces to make it work, especially if they get Joey Bosa back uh, for the playoffs. So I do think there's a Bengals-type run in terms of you don't really like want to see them in the playoffs, right? You would sort of prefer maybe to play another team. Uh, so I, I do think there's some relative truth to that. Uh, let me turn. I, well, I want to turn my computer in a way so the sun isn't blinding people um, because the sun is out now. Uh, but we'll we'll go we'll go on with the show. Uh, this comes from August Blundell. Um, this was an interesting question. Why is Doug Peterson seen as a god? <laughs> For leading a seven and eight team, and Brandon Staley's head is called for while leading the most injured team in the NFL to eight six. Um, I sort of get where this question's coming from, right? If you're just talking about it purely in terms of like record and that sort of stuff, and Staley being able to rally in the last two weeks in particular, a lot of the people who were calling for Staley's head, including myself, were calling for it, you know, prior to the last two weeks. I think that's an important bit of context to leave out. Um, so, you know, obviously with the Sean Payne stuff, there's probably still some stuff going on with Staley's job as a whole. Um, but a lot of it is expectations, man. I mean, look, that Jaguars team was consistently seen as maybe the worst job that you could take, um, especially after Urban Meyer left. Yeah, they had Trevor Lawrence, but there was a lot that that roster needed. Some of it it got in the draft. Some of it it didn't. Um, you know, they were seen as sort of like losers of the offseason for signing Christian Kirk to the contract that they initially did, but that move worked out uh, for Doug Peterson and and, and Balky and the, and the staff there. Um, but yeah, like if you if you polled people before the season, 32 NFL GMs, would you rather be the Jaguars or would you rather be the Chargers? <laughs> they would all pick being the Chargers, right? Um, so, I mean, look, changing the culture after Urban Meyer, um, I think is a huge you know, accomplishment for somebody like Doug Peterson. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not fair, I guess, you know, if you want to say that they have the Titans as leader in the division and, and the Chargers have the chiefs as leader in the division, but still like that team was not seen as a team that could go nine and eight and make the playoffs um, by people in the preseason. Like that, that was not a thing. The Colts were projected to win that division. The Titans were projected to win that division for the Jaguars to have a chance Considering the roster, not a, not a terrible roster, but certainly not one of the better ones in the league, 
to get the development out of Trevor Lawrence in year two that Doug Peterson has gotten to change the culture in the way that Doug Peterson has. Um, I think that's seen as a huge accomplishment uh, for him and, and why, you know, if why you can't just look at it as record, right? <laughs> because if you look at a lot of things as record, I could say, you know, hey, why is Dan Campbell a coach of the year candidate? He's seven and seven. But that Lions team was in the shitter, so to speak. They were one in six. Uh, and he has taken a team that does not have the most talented roster and has turned it around to being a seven and 17 that probably will make the playoffs at this point, right? Which is not something we would project it for the Lions uh, at all. So look, uh, coach of the year is, is a lot about narrative and what you've done for a team. Like right now, coach of the year would go to Nick Sirianni today uh, for the Eagles uh, in terms of what he's done. If you look at most of the betting sites, um, but yeah, I think that Brandon Staley is just seen as not underachieving, but doing what he's supposed to do with the Chargers in terms of getting him to the playoffs versus Doug Peterson based on the offseason expectations for the Jaguars and based on what that team was last year being a flaming hot mess with Urban Meyer uh, is seen as overachieving. And honestly, I think that's fair. I, I think that's a fair assessment of both of those two performances. Um, I, I think that a lot of people will say that like Brandon Staley has sort of been overhated, which may be true based on the last two weeks. Um, but it's about how he finishes the season and the expectations for the Chargers were always much higher and rightfully so than they were for the Jaguars. So that's what it comes down to for me. Uh, uh, at Little Miss Pancakes asks on Twitter, what are the scenarios that need to happen in order for the Chargers to secure the fifth spot? Um, pretty simple. Uh, it's Ravens lose a game and the Chargers win more games than them. Uh, I Yeah, so the Ravens are currently, they have five losses. Uh, I believe on the season, the Chargers have six. So the Chargers, if you look at the ESPN playoff machine, if they win their game this week and the Ravens lose, then they would have tiebreaker over the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, and so that becomes important when you're talking about the teams that have uh, six losses. Miami's in that group too, but I believe in the three-way tie between them. The Chargers become the five seed if I look at the ESPN playoff machine, right? So uh, it's just about taking care of the business for the Chargers. And then hoping that by the end of the season, what whatever the Ravens go right, if they go two and one, the Chargers have to go three and zero to secure um, that uh, fifth spot, right? If the Ravens go one and two, Chargers have to go two and one to secure that fifth spot, right? So it's about taking care of the business for the Chargers. Uh, they also have to worry about the Dolphins a little bit in that aspect, but that gets a little bit easier for the Chargers with the outright tiebreak win uh, over Miami. So really, just take care of business as you uh, as as it is right now and hope Baltimore gets one or two more losses to kind of help you along the way. Although technically right now, Baltimore only needs one more loss if the Chargers were to win out and go 3-0 and here for the Chargers to secure the fifth spot. All right, let me take a quick drink of water. I've been talking for 29 minutes. Did not realize that this would go this long, but we do still have a couple more questions. So excuse me while I open this bottle of water and probably spill it on myself. Um, but this, uh, this podcast is brought to you by Zephyrillus. Uh, no, it's not. Oh, sorry for the ugly water drink on the pod, but, uh, I had to do it. Oh my God. My throat was going to hell there. All right. <laughs> Let's finish this out. Uh, last couple questions at Philip in gout asks, does this late run, if they go undefeated, so 11 and six and make the playoffs, uh, save Lombardi. Um, it's a tough question. I don't know. Um, I think that really there's, if the Chargers offense still has kind of the same problems that they've been having, 
I don't know if there's a record or like a, a playoff outcome that saves Lombardi, so to speak. Uh, I think you could kind of take it in a couple different directions. If the Chargers offense looks really good and Joe Lombardi has the name cachet that he does over the last three weeks in the playoffs, you could sort of see the narrative turn. I mean, Joe Lombardi, uh, I think, has gotten some head coaching like interviews and stuff in the past. Um, but like, yeah, I don't know if it saves Lombardi just because I think that if you're Brendan Staley and even if this team's 11 and 6, 10 and 7, you could just see the offense going so much higher than what they're doing right now with Joe Lombardi. Um, obviously, that comes down to personal relationships in terms of what Brandon Staley's relationship is to Joe Lombardi as well. Um, I, I don't, we don't really have any information on that as of this point. Um, but I don't think there's a number or a result that saves Joe Lombardi, I guess. I think if you get a couple playoff wins and you turn this into like a deep AFC Championship Super Bowl type run, yeah, like that could save Joe Lombardi. Um, but yeah, I, for me, there's not a number of regular season wins that saves Lombardi just because we've seen the Chargers have success and, you know, change in the past, right? Um, look, technically, if you look at what the Chargers improved on towards the end of last season, special teams got better throughout the season. Unfortunately, they missed the playoffs and finished nine and eight, but they had a winning record there. You know, they had Andre Roberts, their special teams got better in terms of what it was at the end of the year versus what it was at the beginning. And Staley said, look, I can't trust Darius Swinton. He's out, right, in terms of what they did special teams. So even if the offense improves in these last couple of weeks, Staley could still say that he's seen enough of Joe Lombardi and would move on, right, based on what he's done with his coaching staffs in the past. I think he's always looking for ways to improve if that way to improve is changing the coaching and changing the personnel. So for me right now, I don't think that there's really a number that saves Joe Lombardi in terms of regular season wins. Um, I think that'll all be a Staley decision at the end of the day. Uh, uh, we talked about the cover three stuff. Uh, Dante Jackson, how did you become a Chargers fan? Uh, I've talked about this in previous podcasts, but I thought the jerseys were really pretty. <laughs> and I like Philip Rivers and LD. Uh, I lived on the East Coast for most of my life. But um, I, I got really attached to like the, you know, middle of the odds Chargers teams that like consistently made runs to the playoffs. And then as soon as I became a fan, of course, they didn't make playoff runs anymore. Uh, and you have the one win over the Bengals in 2013 uh, and the, the one win in 2018. But then they stopped making the playoffs so much as soon as I became a fan. So, um, you know, I hope that this year they sort of changed that. But honestly, like as a kid, I was attached to like, jerseys how cool they looked and philip rivers was my hero as a kid and i'm sure that a lot of people who are my age or maybe a little bit younger than me maybe a little bit older have similar experiences uh with that rivers lt gates era type of team um and so that's sort of why i became attached to the chargers that's why i started writing about them in 2017 and it was fun because it, it was interesting because when the chargers when i was a kid the chargers were seen as like the popular like cool team to an extent, uh, although there weren't many of them, like many Chargers fans on the East Coast. But I do think there was like a bit of, um, you know, just supporting them in that way. And then when the move to L.A. happened, um, I think it became a lot less cool to be a Chargers fan for a while until they got Herbert and the SoFi Stadium and things improved in that way. But the reason that, I mean, I'm in the position that I am now in terms of the podcast and stuff and obviously writing for Bolt Beat was I, I wrote for Bolt Beat in 2017 was my first year 
when people didn't want to write about the Chargers because they were the team that's playing in a soccer stadium and got a lot of shit for leaving San Diego. Um, so, you know, I sort of held on to, you know, my childhood fandom in that sense and wanted to write about the Chargers. My, my first uh, article I ever wrote for Bolt Beat was an article about Cardale Jones versus Kellen Clemens, uh, the 2017 backup quarterback battle uh, that took place behind Phillip Rivers. So, I mean, I was interested in the Chargers, you know, as a writer, as a I wasn't a podcaster at the time, but as a writer and a fan, you know, um, since since 2017. And obviously my my childhood fandom as a kid goes back to 2006, 2007. I was always a fan of the Eagles at the time uh, and obviously have have Philly roots in that sense. But I've never viewed them as like contrasting ideals. I get a lot of questions about, are you more of an Eagles fan, more of a Chargers fan? I don't really care because they play in different conferences at the end of the day anyway, and they play each other once every four years. Um, look, as soon as it gets to the playoffs and the Eagles have a theoretical chance to play the Chargers, I'm sure I'll get asked more questions about it, but I don't view them as, you know, competing entities at all. They're totally separate in my book. Um, but yeah, as far as how I became a Chargers fan, definitely instilled in me from birth or not from birth, but you know, those, um, odds Chargers teams, you look at Phillip Rivers who, you know, still kind of like my personal childhood hero growing up. Uh, and those jerseys were damn pretty. I mean, that's really why I became a Chargers fan. And then, of course, they started having problems as soon as I became a fan because I am bad luck all myself in terms of my sports fandoms with teams. Uh, only have a few moments of glory in that respect. But uh, I hope that this answers some of your guys' questions. Hope that you have a great holiday season uh, with the family and, and all that stuff. Uh, I will celebrate in Florida, although it's cold today, despite the palm trees you see in the background. Oh, I'm pointing the wrong way. Despite the palm trees you see in the background here, it is a cold 45 degrees, although that probably still is not as bad as where you are at, so I won't complain. Uh, but I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Have a Merry Christmas, and see you guys after the Colts game on Monday.